So Alan and I did something kind of fun in December through the magic of Hulu and Netflix and um, Amazon Prime. We found nine different movie adaptations of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And over the course of about three weeks, we watched all nine of them. And we really kind of like nerds, we kind of got into it. Um, we enjoyed the, the different adaptations, the, diff the, the way that the creativity of the people made it a little bit different. And let's face it, the transformation of a Scrooge bah humbug meanie to one of the nicest men the old city ever knew, I mean, it never gets old, does it? Never. But one thing happened as we watched these movies, as I watched each time, a scene, a scene that I hadn't paid attention to before, became really important. And in fact, it's become my favorite scene in the whole movie. It happens um, when Scrooge is laying in the dark in his bed alone and the clock strikes one o'clock. And immediately a light appears in his room. Now, Scrooge is expecting the second of the three ghosts, but no ghost comes to him. The light just keeps shining. And at least in his book, eventually, Scrooge has to get out of bed and actually go to the source of the light. It seems to be coming from a door. And he has to get up the courage to open that door. And when he finally does, what a sight. Because what he sees is sort of like his room, but it's not like he's ever seen it before. It's full of light, it's full of food, it's full of evergreens. And in the middle is this figure, the ghost of Christmas present. Right there in the middle of all this. And in Dickens' words, he was a pleasant, gladsome apparition with a glowing torch held up to shed its light on Scrooge. And then, come in, exclaimed the ghost, come in and know me better, man. For me, this scene, this one line, captures the whole essence of Dickens' book. Come in and know me better, man. Scrooge is invited into the light. He's invited to come close. And he's invited to know Christmas better. It's really the pivotal moment in Dickens' story of transformation, this invitation, this light. Today we're going to turn to just such a pivotal moment in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew, you see, has a unique way of recounting the birth of Jesus Christ and its meaning for the world and for our lives. You might recall that in Matthew, you wouldn't have much of a Christmas pageant, right? There's no stable, there are no angel chorus, there are no shepherds, there's no innkeeper, none of that in Matthew. No, instead, Matthew just has one little sentence. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That's the whole thing. And then in Matthew, there's the appearance of a star a light. And this light is bright and unmistakable. It's an invitation to come and know this child, Jesus, better. Before we read the story, let us pray. God of mystery and of light, speak to us today 
in the quiet that settles in after a holiday, in the dawning of a new year. Teach us how to walk in your light and to know you better. Amen. Hear now the reading from Matthew's Gospel. That's not it. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all of Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him, in Jerusalem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. From, from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. When Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared, and then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word that I may go and pay homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over a place where the child was. And when they saw that star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. And when they entered the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of the Lord. You might have noticed that Matthew picks up the story, the Jesus story, weeks, months, maybe even a year after the joyous birth. Those shepherds, they're long gone. Those angels, back in heaven. But Matthew is anxious to help his readers, to help the early church and you and me know Jesus better. Who is this Jesus? Well, says Matthew, he's the one God's people have hoped for, waited for, the one foretold by all the prophets. Prophets like Isaiah, who said, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you, for darkness shall cover the earth, thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you. And his glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And they will bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. You see in Matthew's telling, these mysterious kings come from somewhere afar and they enact Isaiah's prophecy. It's Matthew's way of sounding the alarm. Jesus is the one. Jesus is God's plan. This is God's time. Matthew knew that for generations, God's people prayed for, longed for, hoped for a savior. It was their heart's desire. 
After suffering for all of human history in thick, oppressive darkness, now God's light comes. And more than that, it's coming for all people, not just a select few. This is extraordinary news. And friends, it's an extraordinary invitation. The light guides the wise ones to worship Jesus, to worship the light given to all the world. And finally, finally the world gets its wish, the thing it had prayed and hoped for, a savior. It's reason to rejoice, right? Maybe. Three little boys got their hearts desire for Christmas. It was a new puppy. They had hoped for a puppy. They had begged for a puppy. They had longed for a puppy for years. And now finally, finally, it was theirs. Theirs to love. Theirs to play with. They were so excited for three days. <laughs> then what? Can you guess? After three days, those little boys wanted nothing to do with little Rover anymore. He nipped their hands. He jumped up on them. He needed food. He needed water. He needed to take walks. He made messes that they had to clean up. The truth is this longed-for present of theirs had become a nightmare. That's the way it is sometimes, right? The things that we want the most, the things that we need the most, can be the hardest things to receive. And so it is with the gift of Jesus, the light of the world. You would think that the world would rejoice. But in Matthew's gospel, we see that whether, rather than welcoming this light and flocking to it, the world begins to flee. In fact, Herod is trying to destroy it. Here's a light that can answer the deepest longings of the human heart, and Herod is alarmed. Here's a light of a new hope in the world whose long history has been written in blood, and Herod is terrified. In fact, he's so unnerved at the prospect of a new ruler and a new kingdom of justice and of peace that he orders a terrible massacre in Bethlehem. This light which has come to the world, this baby, it must be destroyed. What a strange reaction to the light of God. To push it away, to deny it, to not allow its glory to shine upon you, Ultimately, that will be the gospel story, won't it? The world's doing its best to extinguish the light of Christ on a cross. And that's Matthew's point. That's Matthew's lesson for us today, this Sunday after Christmas on the brink of a new year. Good news has come to the world, come to you and to me. A light shines in the darkness that cannot, will not be overcome, but like those legendary wise ones, we must look up. We must recognize, and like those little ones with the flashlight, we must follow that light, reflect that light. 
Like the earliest Christians who first read Matthew's gospel were called to walk in the light and shun the darkness. We're called to be the light in this dark world. I have to admit, it's easy on Christmas Eve, isn't it? When this room is packed and the music swells and the candle glow illumines every face, it feels right in that moment to lift your candle and sing, Wondrous star, lend thy light. With the angels let us sing, Alleluia to our King. It feels good and right and like the darkness has been permanently pushed back, at least for five minutes. But one week later, as 2024 begins and the sanctuary is a bit more spacious and the poinsettias aren't real, <laughs> now comes the invitation. Now the real work of Christmas begins. Now, now we are called to look for the light, to pay attention to the light, to see and follow the light. It sounds easy, but you know it's not. Think about how often we flee from those things we need and want. We want intimacy and companionship, but we are desperately afraid of exposing ourselves or admitting our needs. We want healing and wholeness, but when we're faced with the cause of our pain, when we're asked to self-reflect or do emotional work, we avert our eyes and we deny what we see. And the same is true of our spirits. Each of us, in our own way, express a desire, a need for God in our lives. But when God's light truly shines on us, when God's ready to fill us and come to us, pretty easy to shut God out. Especially when God confronts us with the possibility of giving up whatever it is that's keeping us in darkness. That's when we'll cling to it all the more. Why? Why do we fight God so much? Well, friends, our scripture lesson, this story in Matthew gives us a clue. I want you to notice that last line, that after the wise ones came and saw that infant Jesus, the gospel says they returned home to their own country by another way. Another way. They had to make a change. They had to set out on a new road, a new path, maybe an uncharted course. And that's how it is with Christmas. That's how it is when you experience Christ's presence, Christ's light in your life. Literally nothing is the same. You can't go home by the same way. You're changed. So we're tempted to flee from light, not because we prefer darkness, not because we want to live limited lives, but because we fear change. The real change that might have to take place to live in light and to reflect light to others. That invitation to come into the light and know Jesus better, it means a focus away from the self and toward others. A focus away from comfort and security and toward the good of all creation. A focus away from accumulation and power for us and for ours and toward 
God's agenda of justice for all. Friends, a new year begins, a year we can't predict with challenges we cannot fathom. But here is what we do know. God's light will shine in 2024 in ways we can't expect, in ways we won't be able to explain. And we're invited. We're invited to look up and look around. We're invited to reflect and share that light. We're invited to come close and know Christ better. We're invited to a new year and a new year, new way to live. Thanks be to God for this invitation and thanks be to God for light that no darkness can overcome. Alleluia. Amen.